Well, I'm excited about tonight because I've, not that we're coming to the end of this study, I've actually enjoyed this study immensely, but I'm excited because of the content, the material we're going to be looking at tonight. As we talk about the, the subject, of course, the, the study is Jesus in the Old Testament. And tonight in this final session, session four, if you're writing down notes and you give it a title and all that, the title for this study tonight is Uniting the Bible. Uniting the Bible. Last week we focused on how the Old Testament anticipated the work of Christ. We look at three different ways how how the Old Testament anticipated the work that Christ would do. We talked about prophecies last week and we talked about types or typology. And we talked about key events in the Old Testament that were actually pictures of what Christ would ultimately do in the New Testament. Tonight in this final study, we're going to look at how Jesus unites the entire Bible. Jerry Vines is the former pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville, also the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he has said, and I quote, the whole Bible can be capsuled into this summary. Three things. Jesus is coming, Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again. He said, you summarize, in capsule form, you summarize the entire message of the Bible. I'm going to go over it one more time. Jesus is coming. That's the Old Testament. Jesus is coming. That's the Old Testament. Jesus has come. That's the Gospels. And Jesus is coming again. That's the epistles, the rest of the New Testament. You see, that's the message that we find in the Word of God. That Jesus is all through the Bible. So much of the Old Testament is Jesus-shaped. So much of the Old Testament is pointing to something other than just that day or that event. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at how God's revelation throughout the Old Testament prefigures and anticipates and announces beforehand the redemption that, he, that Jesus would bring about, or the redemption that God would bring about, through the incarnation of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament days, it's amazing. When you take your Bible and you begin to look through the New Testament, in the New Testament days, when the apostles began to read the Hebrew Scriptures, we would call it the Old Testament. In the New Testament days, when the apostles were reading the Hebrew Scriptures, they saw many references to Christ as to His kingdom. As they read, they would find one reference, and then another, and then another. It's amazing as you read the New Testament, so many times where where the apostles take note of, something said in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, how is that even possible? How is it even possible that something written 1,500, 2,000 years ago, or more in those days of Jesus. How, how is it possible? It's something written so long ago that was accurately predicted and fulfilled by Jesus. I, I want you to take notes tonight. I'm going to give you two reasons that's possible. I'm going to explain it to you in two different ways. First of all, it's possible that Jesus unites the Bible, that what was said in the Old Testament was, was fulfilled in the New Testament. That's possible for two reasons. Number one, because God is sovereign over history. Somebody said it this way, history is really his story. History is is in his hands. It's his 
story. Because of God's sovereignty, he is able to fulfill what the Old Testament spoke of in the days of the New Testament. Let me say that one more time. Because of God's sovereignty over history, he is able to fulfill what the Old Testament spoke of in the days of the New Testament. That's why when you read in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam was in the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament is the second Adam. That's why Jesus is referred to as the perfect law keeper. The first law was given through Moses in the Old Testament. Jesus is the perfect law keeper and giver in the New Testament. Or that's why the line of David, when you look at the line of David, David was the king, but it was prophesied another king would come who would sit on his throne forever. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. That was fulfilled in the New Testament. That's why Jesus is the wisdom of God personified. You read about the wisdom of God in the Old Testament, but you see the wisdom of God in the New Testament. That's why the suffering servant, the Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet spoke about, Jesus fulfilled when he died on the cross. That's why the perfect high priest Jesus was the perfect high priest for the people of God. There was a high priest in the Old Testament days, but Jesus was the perfect high priest who fulfilled everything that the, that, that the other high priest could not do for God's people. You see, here's my point. God is sovereign over history. That's why he can take Old Testament events, Old Testament deeds, Old Testament prophecies, and bring them to fulfillment in New Testament days because God is sovereign over history. Number two, the second reason that God can do this is because He is the ultimate author of Scripture. I mean, think about it. I know, you, I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I know that you already know this. But think of what an amazing thing this is. How a collection of books written over a period of a thousand or more years written by more than two dozen authors in various different literature genres Prophecy and history and law and poetry and all of that. And yet they find their fulfillment in a single individual. They find their fulfillment in Jesus. How do you explain this? The answer is found in the divine origin and the divine character of Scripture. Because, watch this, this is so good. Because God is sovereign over history. He orders the events to accomplish His purposes. And then that same God, who is sovereign over history, superintends the recording of those events, the writing of those events, and the interpretation of those events, so that the events that occur in history are actually fulfillment of what is written in Scripture. God is the ultimate author of Scripture and He is sovereign over history. And I don't want you just to be listening to me say this. I want to show it to you in the Bible. So here's what I want to do. Bible drill time. Bible drill time. I want you to find the Old Testament book of Hosea. Ready, set, go. Hosea. Chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that because God is sovereign over history, and because God is the ultimate author of Scripture, He is able to take something that was stated in the Old Testament and bring it to fulfillment in the New Testament. I want to give you one or two examples how Jesus is the uniter of the Bible. So, uh, Hosea. Hope you found it by now. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, 
and out of Egypt, I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. All right? The author of Scripture wrote that down. The one sovereign over history brought this about. Now, I want you to go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Well, let's start at verse 13. This is after the birth of Jesus, Matthew 2, after the visit of the Magi. And after the Magi left, after they had come to worship Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, after the Magi left, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for where, church? Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And watch this. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew, looking in the New Testament days at the Old Testament Scriptures, looked at that Scripture and realized by the Spirit of God leading him, this is a fulfillment of what God said in the Old Testament. He brought to fulfillment in the New Testament days. Because he is, the, he is sovereign over history, and because he is the author, the ultimate author of all Scripture, he was able to take my son out of Egypt and bring that into fulfillment. Uh, in the days of Matthew. Let me give you another example. I really like this one. Uh, it's going to take you a moment. You're going to have to read a little bit of Scripture with me. But I want you to go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is actually a, a prayer for safekeeping. Just to give you a little bit of context here. Psalm 16 is, is a prayer of David for safekeeping. The psalmist is pleading for the Lord's protection against the threat of death. In fact, look how it begins in verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. So this is a psalm, a prayer of safekeeping. The psalmist is pleading for the Lord's protection against the threat of death. And it has sometimes been called a psalm of trust. I want to write that down. A psalm of trust. Now, we're not going to read the whole psalm, but I want you to go skip down to verse um, 8. Verses 8 through 11 if you're taking notes. I have set the Lord always before me. This is David speaking. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This is a psalm of trust. A psalm of protection, praying for protection. Because I have set the Lord always before me, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now David was writing about himself. But David was also writing about more than just his own experience. How do you know that? Well, if you'll go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. What David was saying in in Psalm 16 is this, Because the Lord is his refuge, even the grave cannot rob him of life. If I were to summarize the psalm, it would be that. Psalm 16, Because the Lord is my refuge, even the grave is not going to rob me of life. God is my refuge. God is my deliverer. That's Psalm 16. And if that is true of David, how much more is it true of David's son? The promised one. Peter used these same words to declare that David was actually prophesying not just about himself, but he was also prophesying about the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. I'll tell you what, let's start with verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was, watch this, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I wrote in my Bible, beside that phrase, David said about him, I wrote in my Bible, Jesus. David said about him, David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is still here to this day. I've been to the tomb of David. Some of you went with me. Miriam Osborne has a story about being at the tomb of David. We could tell you tonight, but I better not. I'll get in trouble. But we've been to the tomb of David. We know where the tomb of David is. And the author of Acts was saying, listen, you know, we know, we all know that David has died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But, watch this. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ and that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Isn't that beautiful? God is sovereign over history. It's His story. And because He's sovereign over history, He can bring about the fulfillment of what was spoken in the Old Testament, bring it about being fulfilled in the New Testament. And because He is the ultimate author of Scripture, we should not be surprised that He has written about it in both the Old and in the New Testaments. Now, the question would be this, why go to all that trouble? Why go to all that trouble? And there's two reasons if you're taking notes. The first one is this. 
First of all, so that His people might believe on the promised Messiah before He came. So that His people, the Jews, might believe on the promised Messiah before He came. God's purpose in this special revelation was to announce beforehand the work that the Son would accomplish so that His people who lived prior to His coming, might believe on Him prior to His coming and have eternal life. That they might put faith in His coming, that that He is coming, that there is a Messiah coming. So He writes this so that they might believe that He's coming and have faith in Him. But also, the second reason that God goes to all this trouble is so that we, that's you and I, So that we might have a greater understanding of the work that God accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that you and I would have a better understanding, a better grasp of the significance of what God was doing through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I can show you this in Scripture as well. Let me tell you about the the book we're about to go to. In the New Testament, there is a book uh, in the New Testament that is like the theology book of the New Testament. This is a little bit of a quiz to see if you can guess it before I tell you where it is. So if you, if you wanted to study systematic theology, what New Testament book would you study? I'll give you a hint. It starts with an R. Romans. Romans was written by Paul, of course, and Romans has... It, it, is, it is a theology book. It is, it is full of... Wonderful theology. And it's amazing how this theological treatise, it, it is probably the, the, um, the most compelling theological work that we have in Scripture. And it's amazing how it starts. Romans chapter 1. Let's read the first few verses. First six verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, watch this, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Pause there for a moment. The gospel he promised beforehand. Notice this, that this is something he promised in the Old Testament. He promised this beforehand, before it happened, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now remember when Paul was writing this this letter we call Romans, there was no such thing as the New Testament. So when he's talking about the Holy Scriptures, what is he talking about, church? The Old Testament. The Old Testament Scriptures. So Paul is acknowledging here, as he's about to describe the Gospel to us, in this book called Romans, 16 chapters, and just so rich about the Gospel, and so deep theologically about the Gospel. In this book about the gospel, Paul says you need to understand something. The gospel he promised beforehand through his, old, through his prophets in the Old Testament. Or in the Holy Scriptures. Regarding his son, who, was his, who, was, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead. I want you to notice how Paul is tying some things together here. I want you to notice how Paul is tying together what God said in the Old Testament and what God was doing through the death and resurrection of Jesus 
in the New Testament days. Paul is saying you need to see how these work together. You need to see that God was up to something. You need to understand that this was not an accident. This was planned before the creation of the world. And so look how he describes it. Verse 4. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him and for His name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, if that's all we had to go on, we could stop there and say, that, that's amazing, this, this theological treasure trove begins with this idea that it all started in the days of the Old Testament. And he weaves together the Old Testament and he weaves together the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the first verses of the book. But I want you to notice how the book ends. I told you there's 16 chapters. I want you to go to the last chapter, Romans chapter 16. I want you to notice the final three or four verses. Final three verses. Romans chapter 16. Here's the conclusion of this theological treatise. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel. There's that word again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden in long ages past. Hidden in long ages past is referring to even before creation. That this was a mystery of God. It, it was not known. It was hidden in long ages past. But now, verse 26, but now revealed and made known through the, through the what? Prophetic writings. The Old Testament. Look at it again. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden in long ages past before creation and now revealed in the New Testament days. Revealed in the New Testament days and made known through the prophetic writings, Old Testament literature, by the command of the eternal God so that, for this reason, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through, through Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to tell you what, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. And He unites the Bible. It's amazing. The one who is sovereign over Scripture. I mean, sovereign over history. And the one who's the ultimate author of Scripture. Has woven together a wonderful story. In the Old and in the New Testament. But it is the story of Jesus. I'm I'm thinking about singing. Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart every word. But you don't want me to sing. So. The entire Bible. The entire Bible talks about. God's offer of reconciliation. The hope of forgiveness. And eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Summarize the Bible in three points preacher. It's that. God's offer of reconciliation, the hope of forgiveness, and the eternal life that is offered to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I told you that Jesus is the uniter of the Bible, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to what Jesus himself said. 
Go with me now to John chapter 5. I'm going to give you three different people to listen to. Rather than just listening to Pastor Keith, I want you to listen to three different people who speak about the same subject, essentially. First of all, we're going to listen to Jesus in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 39. In John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish religious leaders, and it's interesting what he says to them in John 5, verse 39 and 40. You diligently study the scriptures. Pause there for a moment. This is an easy question now. What scriptures is he referring to? Old Testament. Watch what he says. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish religious leaders. He said, you, you guys dedicate your life, you dedicate your time, your energies to diligently studying the Old Testament because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then he says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. These Old Testament scriptures you've been reading... These Old Testament scriptures you've been studying, you have been diligently studying these scriptures, but don't you understand they are written about me? And then he says, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. That really talks about what we talked about this morning, doesn't it? How the Old Testament or, or, or the, uh, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the, the Jews of Jesus' day, they, uh, they would not submit to the... Righteousness of God because they were trying to establish their own righteousness. And Jesus said here to them, He says, You refuse to come to me to have life. So if we just listen to Jesus, He says, The Old Testament was really written about me. Now, again, let's listen to somebody else. How about Paul? Paul, what do you have to say about this? Well, go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Paul has been arrested and he's on trial. He's appearing before King Agrippa. Paul is giving his testimony in Acts chapter 26. And he says in verse 19, So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to all the Gentiles. Also I preach that they should repent and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts, and tried to kill me. Now watch what he says. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify, small and great alike, I am saying, watch this, this is so good. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul said, listen, Agrippa, let me fill you in on something. Let me explain something to you. 
They've arrested me and they've made accusations against me. They've tried to kill me. But I want you to know something. I haven't said anything beyond, beyond what the prophets and Moses said about Jesus. I've said the same thing that Moses said about Jesus. I've said the same thing that the prophets said about Jesus. And yet you're trying to kill me. What did Moses say about Jesus? What did the prophets say? That the Christ would suffer and would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. But if you don't take my word for it, if you don't take Jesus' word for it, you don't take Peter's word for it, or Paul's word for it, maybe you'll take Peter's word for it. First Peter, we looked at this this past Wednesday, but I just got to go back there because we didn't get to spend very much time on it. First Peter chapter 1. Peter tells us something. He gives us some insight that is quite interesting when you look at verses 10 through 12. First Peter chapter 1. He says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets, Old Testament, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, New Testament, searched intently and with the greatest of care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. There's so much in that verse. One of the things I want you to see is it was the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in them that was explaining to them, the prophets, what was going to happen. That in the Old Testament days, the Spirit of God was speaking into the lives of the prophets and they were writing down these prophecies and the Spirit of Christ that was in them was pointing to and predicting the sufferings of Christ that would come, His crucifixion, and the glories that would follow His resurrection. Look at this though. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care trying to find out the time and the circumstances. In other words, they didn't have the full picture. As they were writing these prophecies, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have the full scripture. They didn't have the whole picture. And they were trying to figure it out. They were trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together and trying to figure it out how it all fits. And then it goes on to say, verse 12, it was revealed to them. I love this verse. It was revealed to them. Finally, they kept searching and trying to figure it out. And finally, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It was revealed to them that they were what they were writing about. Look up here for a minute. What they were writing about, it was revealed to them. What they were writing about was not necessarily for them. Peter says it's for you in the New Testament. It's for you. And so they didn't have a all the pictures of the puzzle, or all the pieces of the puzzle. They didn't understand what the whole picture was. But finally, God revealed to them, watch this, the God who is, the, the God who is sovereign over history, and the God who is the author, the ultimate author of Scripture. Finally, it was revealed to them, they are writing this in Old Testament days for what God's going to do in New Testament times. 
I love that. And this was such a, a unique thing. It says, even angels long to look into these things. The angels are like on their tiptoes trying to say, Can you, I, I need to, let me read that again. I, I'm trying to figure out what you guys are doing. Now, I thought, how in the world do I bring this study to a conclusion? Because there's so much. I mean, we, we, we could do another four weeks and just talk about, you know, there's so much because Jesus is the one who unites the Bible. So there's so much that we could look at. Then I came across something by Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers is known as the Prince of Preachers. He was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, two-time president of Southern Baptist Convention, one of the greatest preachers and wisest preachers you'll ever meet, one of the godliest preachers you'll ever meet. Adrian Rogers is in heaven now, but he, he developed this list, and I'm giving him credit for the list. He developed this list, and the heading on the list is List of Old Testament Stories Symbolizing Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is basically summarize the Old Testament for you book by book. And tell you where Jesus is in that book. I'm not going to do it. Adrian Rogers is going to do it. I'm just going to read what he wrote. Now, I got good news for you. You don't have to try to write all of that down real quickly. Because I have a little present for you tonight. I'm going to give that to you, okay? Because I know there's no way you're going to be able to write all this down. I just want you to sit back and marvel at God. I want you to sit back and realize one who is sovereign over history and the ultimate author of Scripture. He is the one who brought about the story of Jesus. And Jesus is the one the Bible is written about. So let me read this to you from Adrian Rogers. Christ is the seed of woman in Genesis 3.15 and we're told He will one day crush Satan. In Exodus, we find the story of the Passover lamb and Christ is the sacrificial lamb given for us. In Leviticus, we read of the high priest making sacrifices for the people and Christ has become our high priest making the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. In Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied of a prophet who would come that would be greater than himself and Christ is that great prophet. In the book of Joshua, Joshua met the captain of the Lord's host. That man is Jesus Christ. In Judges, the leaders were judges who delivered God's people and each of them typifying the Lord Jesus. Boaz, the kinsman who redeemed Ruth's inheritance is a picture of Christ. David, the anointed one, pictures Jesus and Jesus is described as being the son of David. In 2 Samuel, when the king is being enthroned, the entire scene is descriptive of the Lord Jesus. The books of Kings speak of the glory of God filling the temple, and the Chronicles describe the glorious coming king, both referring to Jesus, the King of Kings. Ezra depicts Jesus as the Lord of our fathers. Esther offers a picture of Christ interceding for his people. Job clearly uh, Job says clearly that the Redeemer is coming. Christ appears time and time again in the Psalms, including when David describes Him as the shepherd. Isaiah details His glorious birth. Jeremiah reveals that He will be acquainted with sorrows. Joel describes Him as the hope of His people. Amos tells us that Jesus is the judge of all nations. Obadiah warns that the coming 
of the coming eternal kingdom. Jonah offers a picture of Jesus being dead for three days, then coming back to life to preach repentance. Zephaniah says that he will be the king over Israel. Zechariah is the prophet who speaks of Jesus riding on a colt. And Malachi is the one who calls him the son of righteousness. The entire Old Testament points to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we miss that, we miss the whole point of the Bible. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of every promise made in the Word of God. Every prophecy made in the Word of God. Jesus is our Savior and He unites the Bible. And all God's people said, Amen. Father, thank You. Thank you for the glorious truth that Jesus wasn't just born in Bethlehem. We find Jesus all through the Bible. Before the creation of the world, you were planning for our redemption. Before the creation of the world, it was on your heart that Jesus would die for our sins. Father, tonight we recognize you are sovereign over history. You are the ultimate author of Scripture. And we bow down in reverence. You have given us the sacred gospel. May we live in that with gratitude. And may we share it with somebody who desperately needs it. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.